Did you see the AOC back and forth thing with Elon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was funny. But you're going to pay up. You'll you'll pay up now, right? (laughs) Yeah, no, I'll pay. I'll pay eight bucks. Sure. But but the seeming kind of contradiction here that was pointed out by AOC was that you're talking free speech, free speech, but now you're going to charge us eight bucks. And then you hear a lot of people like Kara Swisher that'll say, forget it. I'm giving you my content and I bring a lot of audience to this platform and there's no way that I'm going to pay you for that. Oh, so me tell me, go, go tell me what you First think. First of all, of most of the content, quote unquote content on these social networks is self-promotion, either thinly disguised self-promotion or just overt self-promotion. So it's hard for me to like really feel like, you know, people are getting ripped off by Twitter because they're contributing, quote unquote, their content to it. People versus Algorithms is a show about detecting patterns in media, technology, and culture. I'm Brian Morrissey, writer of the Rebooting Newsletter and a podcast of the same name. And each week, I'm joined by former Hearst Magazine's executive, Troy Young, who writes the People vs. Algorithms newsletter, and Alex Schleifer of Universal Entities. We live in a period of transition. These periods are only clear in retrospect, of course, but much of the world is moving from an old era to a new era that is unsettled. We don't know, fully know at least, for instance, what the post-pandemic era will be like, the new normal if you want to call it or whatever, because we're not there yet. We're still in the final throes of this pandemic, let's hope, and we don't know what exists on the other side. So we exist in this uncomfortable in-between state where we try to understand by detecting patterns what will happen on the other side. This week, Troy and I discuss this in-between state particularly as the consumer tech industry and the advertising industries start to decouple. The publishing industry is already in the midst of a transition from the page view and scale era to something new. I mean, I believe that this will end up being a smaller and more meaningful industry. Let's get to the discussion. As always, we welcome your feedback. My email is bmarcy at gmail.com. Big thank you to Jay Sparks of Pod Help Us for editing this podcast. Theme music was created by Alex Schleifer, who wasn't able to join Troy and I this week due to some travel. Hope you enjoy the show. Troy, something I want to talk to you about this week is whether we're seeing a very, maybe like a slow motion shift away from consumer tech platforms, really relying on ads as as the focal points of their business. And I always remember over the years the marriage between Silicon Valley and the ad industry, not advertising, but the ad industry itself, as being a very much what I consider a marriage of convenience. Um, it was very clear to me that the Silicon Valley people didn't respect uh, the ad industry, and maybe with good purposes, but it was the default business model for a while. I remember companies always telling me they were going to turn on the revenue spigot, and that meant ads. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember that. But a few things are happening. Like if you look at like, and we, we have to mention Elon Musk, the first thing that he and, and his, his team of experts are doing, which we'll get to in a bit, is, is around subscriptions. They clearly see subscriptions as, as the growth lever, not advertising. They paid lip service to advertising and got rid of the top people who are handling the advertiser relationships. 
Mm-hmm. Our friend JP. I know. I know. And uh, mm-hmm. Sarah Personette, and she was like, oh, if you see Elon, say hello to Elon. And next thing you know, she's like, this is my last day at Twitter. What's going on here? Because like what I see happening right now is the consumer tech platforms loved a particular form of advertising, which is targeted ads for direct response. They call it a performance, whatever. And that model is under more stress than it's ever been. Well, what is going on? I mean, I don't think that there's a, you know, it's fun to think if there's some kind of grand reorganization happening, but really I think it's just a bunch of things. And I think that the first is, is that there's way more competition for the platforms. And I think that's important to remember on the ad side, okay? So it's not just TikTok, although TikTok is in a, I don't know, what is it, $65 billion business? You know, they could take a big bite out of that, right? So that's US dollars spent in the category. First of all, it's not growing like it was. Like it's growing now. When it used to grow 20%, like this year, it's projected to grow spend against the category expected to grow like 3 to 4%, right? So that's like materially slower than it was in 21. Secondly, you have not just like the TikTok thing, but you have a bunch of new advertisers coming on or a bunch of new surface area or inventory coming online. I think probably the most important is anything related to, to retail media, Brian. So it, it started with Amazon, but then like everybody else, Target, Albertsons, anybody that has commercial or retail signal is lighting up that space for advertising. So you have really kind of powerful data signal and new places for companies to advertise. And then I think on top of that, you have, you know, someone made the point that how you see growth will really depend on who your big customers were. And the thing that made Facebook so resilient for so long is it was really, don't even think about it as advertising, think about it as distribution dollars for anybody that needed to sell something online. And a lot of that was fueled by like funny money, right? Like it was fueled by venture money, you know, in DTC category and and broadly, anybody that needed to, to market a membership or sell a product or all that. And, you know, that was Facebook's specialty, your ability to programmatically, you know, build demand for, for your product and, and give them anywhere between 10 and 50% of your revenue. And so I think that, that, that there's softness there with a kind of correction in the financial mm-hmm. world and a pullback in, in startups. So I think a lot of those things are forcing people to reevaluate how they get money, but maybe there's something else. And, and you know, you preach this for a long time where you, you know, that you don't just need to be a subscription company. You need to be, it's much better to be diversified. In particular, advertising is not all bad. It's a great, it can be a great kind of, manageable source of revenue for small media businesses and, and, and beyond. I think that broadly speaking, the world doesn't want to make businesses that have perverse incentives that are just ad driven anymore. Yeah. I think there's more awareness around that. So let's talk a little bit more about the perverse incentives. Cause I mean, that's the optimistic side, right? I mean, and I get that. I think we're more aware of the perverse incentives of, of ad models. I think that a lot of these platforms have benefited from these kind of perverse incentives and, you know, around engagement and, and obviously having titillating outrage content 
helps things. I don't know if getting rid of an ad model gets gets rid of perverse incentives, though, does it? No, but I think there's more awareness of it. So people want a more balanced source of more balanced set of revenue channels. Yeah. But I think also the important thing that, that you mentioned was we, we talk about advertising as like one thing. I think a lot of, well, maybe it's like in, in the popular you know, press, I guess, if you will, it, it's spoken of as, as one thing, but there are many types of advertising and this, the consumer tech platforms excelled at a certain type of advertising. And like, like you said, it was, it was closer to distribution really mm -hmm. than like mm -hmm. a lot of what, you know, the advertising world has been about. And I feel like Silicon Valley platforms in particular have been really good at basically being toll booths. Like, I mean, Google is just, it's just a tax that you pay. For most companies, it's a tax that you pay. Facebook is a tax that you pay. And that's where they sort of ex seem to excel at. And I think it works if everyone is using your products, right? Yeah. But maybe the future, particularly with these social products, is going to be more vertical. And it's going to be, we're going to have a verticalization of social media. Apps. What do you mean by that? What do you mean? Well, it means that instead of like having one app that connects everyone together, which there's undeniable benefits to, I mean, why in the world is LinkedIn <laughs> successful? I mean, it's just like the biggest mystery of all, or maybe it just like exposes the myth that like the best product wins. It's like, no, the, the biggest network wins. And mm -hmm, mm -hmm. LinkedIn as a product is, is, is not good, I don't think. But as a network, it's great because everyone's on it. Maybe in the future, that, because the downsides of everyone being connected are very obvious, maybe in the future, just as like publishing is moving you know, from mass to niche, we're going to have a lot more niche networks, social networks, you know, that aren't like uniting every single person. And that would change the business models that a lot of these more niche networks have. Well, isn't that happening already? I mean, we haven't really seen an alternative to like Twitter, but you know, there's a lot of action in smaller communities like Discord. And, yeah. the, and, and so it, that's a single platform, but it's organized around people c basically creating instance of it to support smaller communities. Yeah. And not a not a not a mass kind of ad platform, yeah. you know, wrapped around it. Right, but like the Silicon Valley, like quote unquote ad model is dependent on scale. You have to have massive scale for it to work. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's why like out googling Google was always like a bad bet because you just simply don't have the the amount of data that Google has. You don't have the intense signals. <laughs> here what do you think that means brian for you know kind of ye old publishing business what ye i old, mean but ye, ye old, old shoppy no but, but like so if we were to contrast it with what used to exist you know we had proud publishing teams at magazines that embodied the brand of the magazine very well and they were trusted by media buyers and everything was hand sold and tv was sold the same way though much 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 bigger dollars uh, and I think a lot less friction, but you know, it was, there was a stability in it and, and it was cordial and it was personal relationships 
And that's how the advertising got sold. Like, listen, advertising's never gone away. My take for the last few years has been it becomes, it's hard for it not to become more distribution-like in that it, it, it's, it's really just a toll, as you said, or a percentage of GMV or whatever. But I'm wondering, does this kind of movement to smaller communities that you're seeing and the nichification of media or the, the continued nichification of media mean that sellers are back? Yeah. I mean, I think so. I mean, that's my bet is like, is, is that it? Because I think the healthiest thing would be a conscious or unconscious decoupling, or is it uncoupling? I forget what the, the, remember the Gwyneth Paltrow when she got divorced, they were uncoupling or decoupling. Anyway, I think, I think if there, if there's a conscious decoupling between the, the overall, the massive tech platforms and say the publishing industry, that would be completely healthy development, like completely healthy. Like this, it has not worked on any level, the marriage of the ye old publishing business and the consumer tech platforms. I don't think it hasn't worked. It's just been a series of endless struggles. And everyone on both sides hates the other side to some degree, right? Like, and so maybe it's better that the future is sort of you know, yeah, we'll still keep in touch every now and again and whatever. We'll, we'll, we'll get together like a couple times a year, but like, we're not in this together anymore. And we're, we're seeing this like with, you know, it starts with news, right? Where all of the sort of news partnerships and stuff that like Google and Facebook and, uh, you know, started, like they never wanted to do this stuff. I don't believe it. They just wanted to get like publishers it was, off no it was backs. hush money it was hush money dude. it was like here fine we'll like do this google news initiative now stop writing bad shit about us and I then love meanwhile those things i love those. that was all picked up <laughs> that was all money that i didn't account for so it was it was uh it was welcome yeah no you like and i, I actually spoke with someone from an, a publisher in australia recently uh who's getting the 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 money from, you know, Australia has that like publishing code where they mm-hmm. shook down, I think News Corp like led the shakedown of like Google and Facebook and they distributed it to a few publishers. And he was telling me, he's like, oh yeah, we keep this like in a separate like account. We know that it's not real and we, we mm-hmm. know that it won't last, <laughs> no. but like while it exists and meanwhile, all these publishers are claiming like, you know, oh, our profits are way up. And it's like the margins all coming from this like, literally unearned revenue that they that they're getting that has nothing to do with how well they've done it's just yeah but but i mean you're the expert at this now because you're both no because you know you you kind of live what you talk and you've studied next generation models i'm just i guess what i'm wondering is is the next generation something that looks like puck where you have let's say sub fifty thousand hundred dollar uh, subscriptions which is what five million bucks and then you have an ad business that probably generates double that or at least that much so you maybe have a, a 15 million dollar business plus you got events and some other sundry you know mm-hmm. revenue lines so you can pay you can pay you can pay your talented writers a lot you know a, a, a yeah. fair amount of money with that seems sustainable it's not a big business right like to me like that's fine to me like a big magazine in the day was a hundred million dollar business okay but here's let me let me paint uh uh, uh, one magazine right so maybe we're gonna have way more 50 million dollar businesses and very few 500 million dollar businesses like that would seem like a likely outcome 
And why is that a bad outcome? I don't, I don't think, think it's a bad, bad outcome. outcome. So you're saying that we're going to have... Yeah, so what happens... Who are the ones that are the $500 million ones? Very few. And they're not Give even going to be as profitable. Give me an, is there an example that you can think of right now? Of like, you know, outside I mean, of that, like... That, that, well, that's like the Times, right? I mean, the, Yeah, outside the, of like the Times and stuff like this. But there are going to be very few of, of them that, that get through to that level. Right. So do you think that you'll see more kind of, you know, Vox slash bustle type, uh, you know, brand roll-ups or do you think you'll see yeah. fewer of those? I think what will happen is like everyone repeats the same sort of mistakes or whatever. And so like there'll be a bunch of like $50 million companies that have nice profit margins and then they'll get rolled up and it'll be a mess and then they'll get unbundled again and then we'll just keep going on and then we'll be dead. After that's a couple right. of cycles. <laughs> uh, that's probably right. <laughs> Meanwhile, Brian, it looks like Brian's getting close to selling that company. Are you, are you tracking that? Bustle? Brian Goldberg? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Isn't there a play between... Uh, there's, I think, somebody... There's some capital source involved. I think Blackstone or something like that. And Group Black. I don't believe that. You don't? No, I don't believe that. You think that... that... I mean, we'll see. I don't, I, I don't know why anyone would want to sell their business right now unless they had to. Maybe. Could be. Good, good point. Let's let's talk about the in-between days. The That's in what I'll call it. I don't know if you called that, it that. Yeah. I wanted to steal That's what this I was feeling. That's what I was feeling. Because we were talking about this the last couple of weeks. Like, we're in this like transition period. And I always think transition periods are strange because you don't know you're in one until after the fact like nobody knew that the period between world war one and world war two was a complete transition period until afterwards because they didn't know world war two was coming although they started to get hints that it was coming i came and up I with 29 in betweeners like the there was a little too too many examples if, if i was editing that piece i would have been like yeah i got we on. get it after 10 we get it i wish 10. you would edit my shit i would really <laughs> need that but i mean we can go through a few of them i think you contributed one or two I did. Elon is genius slash Elon is megalomaniac, I think maybe came from you. Yeah. So I put that in there. Oh, maybe what was yours? Neoliberalism? Well, that's the bigger picture. The bigger picture stuff. Yeah. Like, I put you know, those at the top. Yeah. I'd like to read the Financial Times. So like, you know, I think we are moving from, from a different... That's why like, I don't think we really know if Donald Trump was... I think in, in retrospect, he's going to be looked at as a transitional figure, not as, you know, as he is now. I don't think he's the future of whatever the right side of the political spectrum uh, becomes in the United States. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. How, I mean, it's like if how history will sort through the ridiculous shit he does versus, you know, his role in trend, his, 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 the importance of his role as a catalyst in a changing world. Yeah. Oh, I bet history books are going to lead with how he was right on China. <laughs> I mean, not that he was like, right, but like, you know, like the, the, the truth of the matter is like one of the big transition periods is moving from this globalization phase where like the US and China were kind of in lockstep and like we were both helping each other to some degree. They were helping sustain our like massive consumer debt and like, you know, we, we were helping them develop through their export led growth. And now that's, that's over. We're going to, we're, we're on different tracks and the world is going to move into different camps 
clearly. I don't know. Maybe it's multipolar. Maybe it's like by, maybe it's truly bipolar. Maybe it's you know just the two camps. But I think that the same is is happening right now, and that's why I think about this when I think about the the consumer tech industry. It's like maybe this is like a transition from this social social networking era, right? That was very much about ads and attention and clicks and stuff into something different. And I think the publishing is in the same way. It's moving from like trying to chase scale to something that is is much more. Well, I mean, and if you think about it, the the first objective of social networking was to wire us all up to connect all of us, and now we're connected. And there's lots of ways. I mean, we're I I don't ever feel disconnected from people. If I want to connect with someone, it's easy and immediate. So the next thing is presumably around stronger, more intimate connections with people that we care about and things that we care about. So I think that the future is probably bubbles. It's semi-permeable bubbles that we all live inside of, and they're supported by our media habits and our families and yeah. the way we see the world and those intimate connections. And then there's rings, right? There's your family and then a broader set of your kind of almost family, which are your tight friends and this sort of communities that you move in and out of. And certainly that's what my world feels like. And because there isn't that, for me, there isn't the same unifying or, or the strong connection of work, which is really, I think, which was most disorienting for me, that that wasn't in my life anymore. And so you have to have new new types of connections. Do you feel that way? Because you had, like, you went to the office every day and Digiday was your life, right? <laughs> I don't well, think it was a it big was part of life. your life. It was a big part of my well, life. But it had to I mean, been. I miss it. I was, I was, I was in an office yesterday over uh, near me and it was strange to see i haven't been in an office working since since which March, one whose office March 2020 i don't want to i don't want to like you know i go around to different offices it's okay, okay all right. it's a secret well i don't know i don't want to like you know tip my hand but yeah it was strange to 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 go back there and see and i i do think that we're in this sort of disorienting like phase some of us more so than others have gone back to the office of you know trying to figure out routines and trying to figure out that 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 network that's like always on and stuff and i think that the future is a little bit more it's definitely has a lot more flexibility but it also it is disorienting in that way and because everything was sort of set up i used to think like work was something that was done to me not that i did for a while i don't know if you felt that like you just got up in the morning you went into like you the hearst tower me to one liberty and like you dealt with a bunch of shit that came at you best you could, and then you went home and you did it the next mm-hmm. day. <laughs> mm-hmm. Things are things are more vague, but I think like where it, it's funny when you were talking about the bubbles. I thought about I was running the other day, but uh, on the highway or over on the park along the Hudson, and I saw like one of the city winery, or, or I guess it's like vineyard now, over there. They were like setting up. The igloos. The igloos are back. Like, I don't know whether it's because, like, we're another COVID winter. I haven't been around these parts, like, for the last couple of years. But, like, I was like, I thought the co- I thought the, the COVID igloos that people would go and, like, eat outside in a miniature igloo were, were finished. That sort of reminded me of that. The idea of, like, going to a restaurant and eating in a self-contained igloo away from other people is also a kind of a, a funny 
how we live now. It's really funny. And I feel like it's going to come back. I think it's, we're going to have a little wave now. I supposed to have dinner with someone tonight that just got COVID. And I guess for the last couple of months, I've just, my encounters with people that are having COVID have been dropping. I don't know if you find that, but uh, there's not, I haven't had a lot of COVID cancellations, but I got one today. Well, you don't, I mean, I, I'm not, I don't mean to suggest this person is lying, but it is like the perfect excuse to get out of something. I'm just saying. No, I think we like each other. I, I, I'm, I'm assuming that she wanted to hang out. I, I, whatever. But I do think that, you know, when you make me think about. No, I'm just saying nobody can give you shit if you're like, oh, like, sorry. I'm, here's I'm the thing. I, I feel like I could do a better job of painting a picture of what the future state of media looks like. Not just saying things like, oh, it's abundance or it's community-based or it's subscription. It's like, no, what does it actually look like? Like, you know, before it looked like, it looked like the medium. It looked like a magazine. It looked like a television. It looked like a radio station. Like, so the future is all mixed media and shopping and media are combined. It's just like, there's no clear... I want to give myself and people that I talk to a clear idea of what the future looks like, and I feel incapable of doing it. Also, I'm interested in, I'm interested in what the vibe of young people are. And I think that you always have a good take on this, but it's mm -hmm. like, I do think that, that that thing that we mentioned last week, which was that TikTok trend, do you remember what it was, Brian? It was like basically fighting through bad shit. Like, you know, it's the end of the world as we know it, five, yeah. right? Like, and I feel fine. So, you know, the one that, that sticks with me, I guess, just in the back of my mind is this kind of nihilist vibe that's now manifest in marketing for shit like liquid death. You know, the water? Yeah, yeah. You know, they're, I think they're... Looks like an energy drink, but it's water. It's water and they have people doing things like shotgunning it, which I think is really funny. <laughs> You're shotgunning water. No, but it says that that product is so the youth to me, right? Like it's not alcohol. It goes great with, I guess, hanging out and maybe doing drugs. It's, it's got, it's positioning is murder your thirst. Yeah. And, um, well, supposedly the, the, the whole idea came about because like a drummer in some band, like, you know, was like pouring water into like a monster energy drink can because they like the can, but they just like want to drink water during the set. Right. But did you see, like, if you look at their merchandising, they have like a Georgia residence election hydration kit, like with like a fanny yeah, yeah. pack and stuff like that. And then they have, mm. well, there's the Martha Stewart candle thing that they did. Did you see that one? No, but it's like, mm -hmm. it's you know, like it's all, a collab with Martha. I don't, I personally, I don't like this stuff because it's all marketing and like, no, you think it's gimmick. This goes into the gimmick bucket. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all, all marketing and it's well, everything like, is marketing, Brian. Everything is marketing. It's just storytelling. They're selling water. That means that as a case study, it's more pure, right? Because it's only about the storytelling, not about the thing. Yes. I don't know. You know I'm, what? Here's closely related. I said this to my, <laughs> I, I said this to my kid. So there's a beautiful market by my house. Okay. It could, it could stand up as a good product. It's at Grand Army Plaza. Any, it's just a wonderful Saturday market. And we walked over. Oh, I the farmer's with, market there? I know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I've run through my, it. I've dodged With people. my wife and, and, and my, my daughter, Violet. And, you know, at the front was this guy selling mushrooms. 
and like in a perfectly legitimate stand. Um, psychedelic and, or like Yeah, yeah, no, no, foraged. psychedelic. So oh, psychedelic. Nice. Yeah. Oh, they were, there was also foraged mushrooms, but this was psychedelic mushrooms. And you could buy it either in the bag or you could buy three grams at a time and you, or you could buy it in chocolate. And she was like, oh yeah, yeah, my friend grows mushrooms. And I was like, you know, it's pretty weird for me to see a guy at the market selling hallucinogens. Like it's, it's, you know, we had to work really hard as kids to get these. No, I know. But that's also the transitional period. I mean, they set up, you know, card tables outside of Fulton Center selling weed, um, which I thought was like very bold. Like I was like, oh, I didn't know you could do that. Um, well, I asked the guy if, if it was legal and he said no, but he said there's no enforcement agency. So yeah. he, he feels if, like he can get away with it. Yeah. I went walking right. by South Street Seaport and, and the guy who was selling plants was also selling like weed, which I thought was kind of funny. That makes sense. <laughs> I mean, it's taking it a, like category busting is like everywhere. Anyway, what was your point about the, the mushrooms? Just new times, new kids, new vibes, new world. Well, you think that's generational? Absolutely. Why? Yeah, my daughter orders weed off of Instagram. Oh, that's like that. What Did you see the, the, the Wall Street Journal a couple of weeks ago had like one of these like scare, like it's like people like use like an online delivery service for like cocaine and then getting like fentanyl, 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 fentanyl brand. Fentanyl. Yeah. That was their story <laughs> notification of the weekend. There's always one big story that they like to push hard in the notifications. And that one was like, you know, the fear of every white cocaine snorter, yeah. not white, like just sort of like office person that, you know, weekend warrior. Yeah. And I'm sure that story did incredibly well for them. Three people, probably the same batch of Coke, had fentanyl in it. They all died. It's terrible. It's tragic. Yeah. <laughs> I know, but like it was like they, they were painting like these delivery services like they were something completely new. I, I didn't think that they were, but maybe they are. I don't know. Now there's retail locations. I would like for you to talk about what the in-between means to you. What the in-between with, with, as far as media goes? Did it resonate with you, that idea? Do you feel like we're between eras? Why? What is, yeah. what is... I mean, I think, I think what to me it like resonates because like, I think we all want to be past COVID and, and into what's next, but we're not past COVID. Like, I mean, you just talked about, you feel like there's another wave coming. And this is like, the pandemic was supposed to be just like a thing that happened over a set period of time. But like, we're starting to realize that it's an era. Like the, you know, going around at least New York now and just like, you know, the masks are going to be with us seemingly forever and stuff. And like, we haven't fully come to terms with all of the changes that are going to happen after the pandemic because we're really not past the pandemic. And I think that people wanted to get past it a lot quicker than was practical because this was a big dislocation and we're we're going to pay the bills on the economic front next year and the idea that the economic dislocation of the pandemic is over is just not true the economic dislocation took place in the first couple of months and then a shit ton of money got flooded into the economy that benefited everyone and i don't think i don't think people have fully recognized how much of the last couple of years were artificial results. Mm -hmm. 
And so I think it's, that is an interesting, like, you know, period of transition into, I think next year is going to be really rough and it's going to be, it's going to be a bit of a pivot to reality. It's going to go back to like, you know, how, how it felt like in April of 2020. So it, it's a worse economy and all of like the last bit of the stimulus money gets drained out of the economy and consumers no longer have savings that... The amount of excess savings that people still have are going to keep things going for a while. The reason that the Fed is going to continue to raise rates is that it's like, and every single business benefited from the loose economic policy, from the helicopter cash and people, it's like anything. It's like nobody, everyone thinks like, I always go back to like running. It's like, you never notice like the tailwind and you always like complain about the headwind. And like the tailwind, you're just like, wow, I'm just like really strong today. It's like, no, Mm. you've got a 15 mile an hour wind at your back. That'll help. And I just talked to so many companies over the last two years that like were bumping along at like a certain growth rate. And then all of a sudden their growth rate went like far higher. The fundamentals of their businesses never changed. What they were doing did not change. And they credited themselves for that. Meanwhile, all of their peers were also experiencing the same bumps. And that was artificial. So I don't know. Now we're going to... We're going to find out, like, you know, who truly built, like, sustainable businesses or not. Good 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 Facebook is at such a scale that I give them credit because it's a bet that, like, almost only they could make in some ways. I mean, Microsoft can make that bet and Apple can make that bet, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't be as desperate to make the bet as as I think Facebook is. You know, I think one of the things hidden inside of it is it's not just about on the metaverse. It's about on creating your own high powered Silicon. It's about on AI. They probably have are further ahead than almost any company in the world with AI, and that's all buried inside of there. There's a, you know, it's a bet on on becoming not just a software, but a hardware company. It's There's a lot there. There's a lot yeah. there. So I'm open-minded. I might not be optimistic, but I'm open-minded. That's all where right. I, I try to position myself. All right, what's product of the week? I got a good one, I think. It fits with, uh, do you, why are you laughing? Do you have a good one? It's sent over on the text, the video of, the Philadelphia fans who shotgunned beers and then the guy proposed to the... That's sweet. That's sweet. <laughs> we'll just... Okay. Here's mine. My thing is, I think a good product is what I'll call new traditions. And my wife, Jillian, is doing these Wednesday dinners at our house. And a good friend of ours named Corinne always comes and there's new folks that join every week. And it's now a Wednesday thing. Wednesday is the perfect day. It's not Thursday where a lot of people go out. It's not Friday where you might go out of town or whatever. It's Wednesday. And she's an amazing cook. So she makes, you know, crazy food. And people come over and we sit around the table. And it's kind of old-fashioned. And I think it's an antidote to the in-between. It's a new tradition. It's weird because I've been back now six weeks and I haven't gotten an invite. We should do that. That's a great idea. <laughs> Can you bring Anna with you? I'd love to have Anna that, over. Yeah, but her name is pronounced Anna. Anna, oh, no. sorry, sorry. There's always there's a divide between the people who pronounce her name like uh, Anna and and Anna. Anyway, that I think that's a lovely it's a lovely new tradition. But it also goes back to like I think coming out of this is like people want human connection, and 
I think people are going back into these kind of like small scale engagements. That's why, like when I think about like the events that I want to do, like I want to do like smaller and more meaningful rather than like the big and unwieldy events. Like if I think that things are going to go into smaller and more meaningful experiences across the board, whether that's through your social networking experiences, whether that's through your media experiences or just in, you know, the kind of relationships that, that people have. Lives. It's back to my holistic theory, which is semi-autonomous, meaningful clusters rendered in lots of mm -hmm. ways, professionally and personally and supported by media and all of that. Because I think when we look back on this period of social networking, of being connected to, to everyone all at once, it's really, really unnatural. Like people are supposed to go through phases of life in which people like come into it and then leave it. And stuff. the idea that we're supposed to be connected to everyone at all times is strange. It's never existed in, in, in history and it shouldn't exist probably. Like the Dunbar number, you know, is a Dunbar number for a reason. Yeah. And it actually, it creates what I find to be the most despicable part of social media, which is basically identity construction through these channels, which just feels so superficial and gross. Yeah. And I think, well, I mean, I think that's why like social, the social network era is ending. And I think that's the part of the transition. I think we're in transition to something else but i think whatever What's, that thing becomes it looks a lot more like your wednesday dinner than it does than facebook but will you still will you still need to have sort of smart aleck twitter brian i don't know that i'm just character? gonna like i'm gonna pivot that into maybe into the Substack app you know they came out with a chat function that i think is actually pretty i think it could be something very important for them i think they have to get two things right they have to get their boost product right which is they have to generate far higher yield for their publishers than their, the cut that they're taking right now. They, they have to do that. Otherwise, people are just going to leave. But then they have to like figure out this, this chat community function because the reality is a lot, the, the, a lot of the impetus to subscribe to the Substack type publications, it's a different and less transactional uh, relationship than it is with institutional brands. And so community is going to be a far, a far bigger draw than, than it is like on the like institutional brand level. So yep. I know that's a whole bunch of different stuff. I love it. I do want to ask you a question, Brian, and I wanted to get your take. We haven't talked about this, your take on the $8. I wanted to get your sense of things. Oh, the $8. What's Did you see the AOC back and forth thing with Elon? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was funny. Yeah. Look, I thought it like you know, I, the whole thing of like verification, which was at the 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 heart of like the the Twitter blue thing, was always strange to me because we had this funny thing in when I was at Digiday where we weren't verified, and this person on our team was like really really upset by this. And I just sort of like snarkily like replied, I'm like, ah, it's better to be a pirate than a Navy. Only losers like asked to be verified. And it was more like, which did not go over well at all. So I was like, okay, fine. You can get us verified. <laughs> like, but I refuse to like, I think it's humiliating to ask to be verified by Twitter. <laughs> like to me, like, why would anyone, why would anyone do that? That just doesn't make sense. But you're um, going to pay up. You'll, you'll pay up now, right? <laughs> Yeah, no, I'll pay. I'll pay eight bucks. Sure. Like, I don't like, I don't, 
I use Twitter more than and than I I would I would like to to use it, but I would happily you know pay pay eight bucks for it. I'm not like one of those people who are like, oh, I'm quitting because like you know. Elon Musk is in charge and, and it's, it's all toxic now. I don't, I don't have a lot of, and I recognize that as like, you know, position of privilege. I don't get like attacked on Twitter or anything like this. And I think that's probably because I'm a middle-aged white guy in large part and because I'm not that popular, <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, I got, I got attacked once. I mean, I did a tweet about a, a bodega that wasn't a bodega. They served sushi. I didn't know bodegas at the time. It was a very sensitive subject. And so that didn't work out well for me. Uh, one interesting thing of that, I don't know, have you ever but, been- but, but, but the seeming kind of contradiction here that was pointed out by AOC was that you're talking free speech, free speech, but now you're going to charge us eight bucks. And then you hear a lot of people like Kara Swisher that'll say, forget it. I'm giving you my, you know- my content and I bring a lot of audience to this platform and there's no way that I'm going to pay you for that. I mean, so me tell me, go, go tell me what you First think. First of all, most of the content, quote unquote content on these social networks is self-promotion, either thinly disguised self-promotion or just overt self-promotion. So it's hard for me to like really feel like, you know, people are getting ripped off by Twitter because they're contributing quote unquote their content to it. It's kind of like people wanting to be paid for their data. Their data is never as valuable as they think it is. And I'm sorry, like 98% of people, your tweets are like appropriately monetized at this point. Like you're getting <laughs> the appropriate amount of money. I mean, so I think it's fine. Like, I think it would be like, it would be better. And what for, do you think you should get for the eight bucks? For do you eight think bucks? You should get, yeah. Do you think you should get more reach? Do you think that you should get broadly just some kind of recognition that you're you know, you're, you are who you say you are and you're legit. I mean, honestly, what I think they should do is I, I would have started the, I mean, if I was Jason Calacanis, I would start with TweetDeck then anything. I mean, like they have, they have severe product, like their product has not been tended to. Like I, I know like everyone is like, oh, the tweeps, the tweeps. And I'm like, how do you have this many people when like the product kind of sucks and on a lot of levels like i mean the network is great but the product itself is not good like i don't think like from a technical aspect they didn't evolve it enough so yeah i mean i would start with extra tools for for people to have i don't like people paying for the ego stuff to me is dumb i don't i don't understand that so extra tools that give you more granular faster more segmentable more searchable access to the feed yeah, look, there are a group of people who use who use Twitter, whether they admit it or not, for professional purposes. And that that group of people is fairly large. And I think you could charge them a, like a lot more money than trying to like monetize everyone who just lurks on Twitter to like, you know, that that would be, you know, tax the threads. I mean, if you tax the threads, like I think that is like <laughs> okay. So I said so that's a great answer, and I'm glad we 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 should insert this in the in the we should keep this in the episode. <laughs> but one other thing I want to ask you. That's that, what I'm going to run on. I'm going to run on tax the threads. Tax the threads. You know what's unnatural about this podcast is that not unnatural, but like I like asking the questions. Oh, you could switch. That's what else. I do. I'm a question asker in life. I do that all the no, time. That's what I do. Well, we both do it. Maybe, we, but if we just asked each other questions, there would be no podcast. 
But here's the other question for you, Brian. The the ad product. You can't. You got to talk about the ad product. So their thinking on the ad product was the obvious, right? We're going to make it look exactly like a tweet. We'll put a little sponsor down at the bottom. You can't even see it. And you'll be able to kind of dial up the impressions in the feed. And you have some kind of probably fairly shitty targeting mechanism because it's Twitter, right? You don't have the same signals you do in other environments. What do you think they should do with the ad product? Oh, God. So here's the thing on the ad product, and we discussed this a little bit, is chat never monetized well. And I feel like Facebook got made people forget that, like because Facebook mo- like nailed monetization so great. But if you go back in early Facebook, and you remember this, there were a lot of doubts that Facebook could work as an ad-supported business. And the reason is chat never monetized. It just never did. It never, you know, you had to have massive scale. And you look at like Hotmail and stuff like this. It's like mail's fine, and but like it was never a cash cow. And Facebook was the exception to that. I don't see Twitter as like monetizing well. They don't have Would any- you bring back the question, would you bring back the kind of page takeover? Would you bring back the, what did they call the call the things on both sides where they like fill up the whole back of the screen with skin. The, I would you bring skin. back skins? Would you would put skins skin. on, on Twitter? Skins or no skins? <laughs> I would do no skins. I would rather pay money than like have that. But that, that I yeah. But be... for free users, do you want to give them skins? Yeah, I'd give I'd give them skins. Give All them right. a give give them a skin of the tweet deck. It'd be fine. Because skins are the anti Silicon Valley ad product. They hate that stuff. They do hate the the skins. I mean, Daily Mail. Daily Mail is like they. Daily Mail, by the way, is a, is a fascinating product because it is it it checks every box for like what like you know like someone like me would say it would be like the worst possible anti-user like approach. They have rabid, rabidly loyal audience. Rabidly. That's amazing, and it's because the content is so good. It is. And, uh, it is. And it you know is what else homepage. is really good? The density is good. They all these kind of designer types that are like, oh, you can't do that. They flop no. everyone. They're the opposite. What people love about Daily Mail is that thing on the right hand side. People love that thing. So my sisters are addicted. It's called to Daily the f- Mail. female. The female today. You know that thing? <laughs> yeah, they're addicted to Daily Mail and good and bad ways. And they go to the homepage when the, like at the start of the day it is a complete throwback and like people can hate on like the daily mail all they want but why is daily mail still have like incredible homepage traffic it's like nobody the... goes to homepage nobody goes to the homepage except daily mail users and you know what it's not just your sisters i know very yes. senior editorial people at organizations that consume it nonstop. yeah and like, so maybe like publishers should take more notes from Daily Mail, but they're not the ones like the, that, that people want to take notes from because like, it's like, it's gauche. You know what's funny? They're like, fuck it. We need more ads on here and we can't fit in between all of the content. So we're just going to put them to the left and right side. They skinned it up. <laughs> they did. Look at it. I'm looking at it right now. It's all skins. It's not skins. It's just ads running outside of the page. They do everything opposite. It's like, what are the, the Silicon Valley people would be like, it's an orthogonal strategy. <laughs> it's definitely orthogonal to like any sort of best practices. Like the, the articles are like 
four times longer than they have to be. Sometimes, like, I find, like, mm. paragraphs have been repeated accidentally. <laughs> I don't know if this is bullshit or not, but my, the, the, the mantra in the editorial, in, in the newsroom at, at Daily Mail is, get to the mother. I love that. Get to the mother? Yeah, like, get, understand why the serial killer is oh. the way he is. So get I, to the mother. I, and, and, and do it, by the way, get every image you can. The secret is images. Yeah. You got to have a ton of images. So someone, someone I, I know, I'll say a friend, I, I haven't seen her in a few years, but she worked for Daily Mail for, for, for several years. And she has this very thick Scottish accent. And they would always just like dispatch her to like Columbus, Ohio, where there was some like serial killer to like get to the mother. And like the idea, basically she was like, you know, she ended up, she was very good at getting to the mother. Like, and I think her like, you know, very strong accent really helped in like middle America. Like they found it like charming. So they didn't like slam the door in her face, <laughs> but it came with, it came at a cost. Like you don't want to always be doing the um, knocking on the door. It's a tough, it's a right. tough gig. That's why I say journalists are psychopaths. Cause like, that's like, who would want to do that? Who would want to like knock on the door of like the mother if like someone died, like her son died or something or, or I mean, or look at these headlines, right? Mo you know, moment multimillionaire Obama confronts heckler who shouted like you when he said Republicans want an economy that's not very good for folks at the very top, but not so good for ordinary people. I mean, that's a headline. That's the whole story. <laughs> all right, Troy, let's leave it there. Thank you all for listening. Again, please do send in your uh, feedback. My email is bmarcy at gmail.com and leave a rating and review. I don't think you can leave a review on Spotify, but you can definitely leave a rating and leave a review on uh, Apple Podcasts.